I'd like to just begin by saying thank you to your pastor, Matt. It's wonderful to be here. Um, it's a, such a privilege. I have a burden in my heart to bring to you the grace of God for your ministries, and I plan to do that uh, through the word of the Lord. How many know that it has power to grace us with whatever we have to face? And so I am um, under the conviction that uh, this mandate that we have been given to uh, go and make disciples is absolutely impossible. It's a ridiculous mandate in and of ourselves. We have nothing by which to do it other than the grace and the power of God. And in that way, we have all that we need. And so my desire is to somehow uh, inject you with a new passion and a new desire to do what God has called us to do. No matter where you are, we are all missionaries, right? We're all giving testimony to what the Lord has accomplished in our lives. So I uh, hope that you will be blessed. I know you will be blessed because of the power of the Lord. My scripture this morning is found in the book of Matthew, chapter, thir- uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And if you would find that, and we'll get to it pretty soon. But I'd like to begin just by saying that I, I don't know how you think about yourself, and I really don't know if you've thought of this or not, but the truth of it is, is that you are a dreamer. I don't mean some nocturnal uh, dream that you have after you, you've had a burrito too late at night and you wake up in the morning and you wonder, uh, what was that dream about? No, I'm actually talking about, and I, what I'm saying here is that you have hooked your life to something. There's some grand vision that motivates you that shapes your life, that directs your decisions, that makes your heart rise with joy or plummet with sadness. You're a dreamer. And the reason why you are a dreamer is because you are human and you've been made in the image of God. You were made for transcendence. You were made to have your life hooked to something that is bigger than your life. And that thing that's found here in this portion of scripture is actually the kingdom of God. You were meant, you were created to have your life connected to the values and the purposes and the goals and the plans and the hopes and the dreams of a greater kingdom than you could ever construct for yourself. In all of your wildest dreams, in all of your grandest visions for you, your personal vision could never expand to the size of the glory of the vision that God has meant for you in his kingdom. And that kingdom and living in that kingdom is really detailed in this portion of scripture. I know that there are many things that want to identify who you are, your struggles, your people around you. Everything wants to identify who you are. 
Uh, I had that struggle um, in, in my life. I was out there riding my bike with my granddaughters. They were probably around six and seven years old. And I was out there riding and I thought, I'm going to show off for my granddaughters. And so I rode my bike out in front of them and uh, I thought I'd lift my hands off of the handlebars and show them how, don't laugh. And uh, I did, I, I lifted my hands. I know what you're thinking, I fell. Well, I didn't fall. I lifted my hands and I just started just waving them a little bit, you know, and I was waiting for the response of my granddaughters to say, hey, look at grandpa, you know, and, and nothing came, nothing came. And I'm writing and writing and then thought I, I need to make this a little bit bigger. So I raised my hands and just riding my bike uh, and, and all of a sudden uh, my little Rachel spoke up and she said, grandpa. And I said, here it comes. Here it comes. She said, Grandpa, you should join the circus. <laughs> that is not what I was looking for. But the reality is, is that we all are identified. I'm still trying to get over that. <laughs> but in, the Lord, in his word, identifies us. Isn't that awesome? And so you were, you were meant, you were created to live for something that is so much greater. So let me read this portion of scripture, beginning in chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its taste, saltiness, be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp to put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Now, I know as a speaker this morning, I am in a bit of trouble because I have chosen a portion of scripture that is very familiar to you. And my fear is that you will sit there this morning in some type of mental and spiritual monotone or maybe even comatose mode. And uh, your familiarity with this passage will just take you somewhere else. But I want you to think with me about how radical this passage is as we think about the kingdom of God and our place in the kingdom work and, and our place as making disciples. This is really a radical passage. And I want to look at these, what I call metaphors, uh, particularly attending to the light metaphor in three ways. First, I want to propose that these metaphors are diagnostic metaphors. They really do tell us what is wrong with the world that surrounds us and what is fundamentally wrong with the city and the people that we work with and are called to work with. Second, these metaphors define our identity as children, as citizens of that kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, who, uh, who in the world are we? And so, uh, and the third thing that I'd like to look at as these metaphors define our calling, our, our, our 
participation in the kingdom of God. So my question is, are you ready uh, this morning to receive the word? Can I have an amen? All right. I just want to get you active into this message. All right. Let's preach this together. Is that all right? Amen. Uh, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, you have heard it said many times, and I won't spend much time there, but when you talk about the salt, when you talk about looking at the pre-refrigeration days, salt was more than just about taste. Salt was a primary preservative, and the salt was there to retard the encroaching decay and the corruption of any food product. So what is light for? Well, light is needed because of darkness. Light drives away darkness. Mm. Light drives away darkness. And in scripture, light is a metaphor for truth. And if light is a metaphor for truth, then darkness is clearly a metaphor for falsehood. Now, think about what's being said here. What is wrong with the city to which God has called you, to the people that God has called you? How would you diagnose the things that all of us face every day? See, the struggles of the city are deeper, hear me, they're deeper than the level of politics. They're deeper than the level of education. They're deeper than the level of sociological needs or cultural needs. They're deeper than economic needs. Literally, the problem with the city locates itself at the level of the heart. That's the problem. The heart is the problem. Think about this. When the writer of Hebrews wants to discuss the power of the word of God to expose and evaluate the heart, it says that the word of God judges what? He examines the thoughts and the intentions of what? The heart. Now, why does the author of the book of Hebrews point to those two things? Clearly, there's more things that the heart can do and does. Well, the author of Hebrews points to those two things because clearly those are the two most profoundly important functions of one's heart. So the heart is always thinking. Hear me, a human being, as human beings, we do not live by instinct. We think, we interpret, we, ent- we toss our lives back and forth in our brains trying to make sense of what is. We're oriented to develop some system of wisdom, some system of truth that defines life for us, we think, But as human beings, as human beings, we also desire, we purpose. Our lives are directed by motivations that move us. Now hear this. 
That's what's wrong with the people around you. That's what's wrong with the people that God has called you to make disciples of. That, that the capacity of desire has gone bad. The capacity of desire has been corrupted. It's decayed. As sinners, we desire things that we should not desire. We want things that that we should not want. We are moved by things that should not move us. We purpose things that should not be purposed. As sinners, we think in ways that are not true, and because of that, everything else is distorted. That is the way we are as human beings. And so in these two metaphors, you really do find what's wrong with the communities that we live in. That's why I made the statement, we have no chance in hell to save people from hell. No chance at all without the power and the anointing and the unction of God. And it doesn't come by human source, but rather by being connected, oh, hallelujah, to the very presence of God himself. It's not just a matter of violence. It's not just a matter of poor politics. It's not just a matter of education gone bad. It's not just a matter of economic problems that is everywhere around us. It's a matter of the heart. The problem is a heart problem. And listen, it is my desire. Oh, that's my burden, as I heard the ministers yesterday, and they blessed my heart so much because they hit it and you know, hit it and hit it again. It's, we got to get back to touching God and then reaching out to the world around us. Oh, if I am corrupt by sin, and listen, if my desires are ruled by the things that are morally corrupt, and if I think in ways that are fundamentally false, I will not live the way I was meant to live. Listen, evangelism, missionary work is not about getting people to do things. Evangelism is not just to bring people to some kind of momentary decision. Evangelism at its heart is being used by God as an instrument in his hands to fundamental heart change. We can't settle for anything less than that. Hear me, we can't settle for anything less than that. What is the bright, hear me, come on. What is the bright promise of the new covenant? The bright promise of the new covenant is a new heart, isn't it? A new heart. You see, what's the heart of the problem of the communities that God has called us to minister to? Well, you can say it in this way. The heart is the heart of the problem. That's the target of our ministry. 
corruption that exists at a heart level, falsehood that exists at the level of the heart, sin that exists at the level of the heart, falsehood that exists at the level of the heart. Sin makes us look at what is evil and see good. Sin makes us look at what is false and see truth. Listen, that is only changed by the act of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're meant to go out into our mission fields as instruments of that wonderful, amazing grace. But these metaphors not only are diagnostic metaphors telling us what's wrong with the world in which we live, but metaphors that identify us as children. He says, you are the light of the world. Look at that sentence again here. Let me read it. I know you're familiar with it, but let me say it again. You are the light of the world. Would you say it with me? You are the light of the world. Verse 14, notice, I want you to know what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you should be the light of the world. Did some lights go on? I thought I saw some little flickers. <laughs> it's not saying that you should be the light of the world. It is saying you are the light of the world. Hear me when I say this. This is a statement of fact. This is a statement of fact. You are the light of the world. What an amazing thing. Jesus is actually in that statement placing his authority, his power upon you. He's saying you are the light of the world. Oh, we know the ultimate light is Jesus Christ. John talks about it, right? The light that has come into the world. And as he ushers in those beautiful words that the word was made flesh. But hear me, the Lord is saying to you and to me, it's a statement of fact. You are the light of the world. So what is it that Jesus is saying in this passage? He's pointing to something amazing that has happened to you and to me. Literally, Jesus is saying this. You have been lit. You've been lit. You've been set ablaze by the presence of God. You've been ignited by his grace. You've been lit by his glory. Mm. That's why Jesus says the same spirit of God that energizes my ministry here on earth. He says, I have now given to you so that you may be able to do the things that I've called you to do. Hear this. You have been lit by the indwelling presence of the risen Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said? You've been lit. You've been lit by him. That is your identity. You've been lit by that shining light of, of the glory of God. You've been given that power and you see that statement of redemptive reality is what precedes the call of this passage. Hear me please. If you're 
ever going to accept the call of Christ to live his life, you have to first receive the truth of what Jesus Christ is saying about you. What an amazing thing that the almighty God actually lives inside of me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The glory of God, the character of Christ now lives inside of me. I've been lit. It's interesting. Christ doesn't now say, well, now that I've told you that, we need to get together and we have to have a semester-long study on the theology of luminescence. And I've got a few texts for you to read on luminescence. And once you've read those, then we'll get down to the facts and discuss how you can be luminescent. (laughs) What he starts with is an awesome statement of fact. Hear this. Kingdom activity is always attached to recognizing kingdom identity. In other words, if I will be a disciple maker, I must first know I'm his disciple. Are you hearing me? Get that fixed in your heart and in your mind. Set it as your 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 launching pad and your end of the day. I am his because he said so. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And you know what that means? It means because I chose you, I take on the responsibility to empower you and enable you to do what I have called you, nothing less. Hmm. Preachers coming out in me. You told me to preach. (laughs) Well, that leaves nine minutes and 16 seconds. That's what that leaves. (laughs) That leaves us how these wonderful, wonderful metaphors define our calling. Let me read again just a little bit. You are the light of the world city. Set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, verse 15 starts with this irrational example, doesn't it? You just don't light a lamp to just hide it. So let's unpack this just a little bit. Notice that the shining of the light in this passage is not connected first to the things that I will say, but rather to the things that I will be and do. You see, if it is true that you have been lit by the character of Christ Jesus our Lord, then the call here is to live out of that living Christ that lives inside of you. 
Live a life of love. Live a life of mercy. Live a life of grace. Live a life of sacrifice. Live a life of service. Live a life of Christ in the place where God has placed you. Listen, we all know that there's no want of need. It, 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 where God has put you, listen, there's no want of need whatsoever. There's always need for mercy. There's always need for love. There's always need for patience. There's always need for perseverance and forgiveness, right? And accepting gracious love. There's always that need. And the making of a disciple begins with me knowing that all those things that God has called me to be, he has already been to me. And so, I'm usually a man with an agenda. I get my day uh, laid out, and I want to do what I've laid out to do. I've got things to do. I've got things to accomplish. And all I, have you ever done this? You probably never. You're probably too saintly. But I get that call, and you see the name. And it contorts your body. And you go, no! I, I got a plan for today. Right? Come on now. <laughs> oh, God. Forgive me, Lord. I had a great day planned for myself. And it's that one name that pops up. But in that moment, you know what God is doing? He's doing it to me. He says, will you, will you be my disciple? Because I'm trying to make another disciple through you. And if you will give yourself to patience and kindness, and if you will become that vessel I'll win souls through this action if you will humble yourself. And so somewhere in my heart, I've got to say, God, thank you for this interruption in my planned out day. Thank you, God, for this irritation because somehow you're making something. You have a plan that is better than my plan, God. And I'll flip. I don't have a flip phone. I'll toss that thing over and I'll answer that call and I'll say and I do call me any time of the day you've got my number I said hello <laughs> and I'll get people say oh can I call you again I just like that hello I'm serious they've called me in the car like three times just to hear that hello <laughs> but that's who I am matter of fact uh, three o'clock in the morning, and you call me. Hello, I was up. <laughs> Simple, isn't it? Believe me, God forgive us, because there's times that God sovereignly puts people in front of us, and we think of them as interruptions when what God is trying to do is to use us to make a disciple. Listen, what is the problem? 
What's the center of the problem? The center of the problem is the heart. If we will make disciples, it's because there's heart change happening. Transformation in the, at the level of the heart. And so, if I will learn, if I would come alongside of what God has already done inside of me and be used by him as his vessel, if I will look to him, every decision bad that they make, every wrong turn that they make is because of the heart. But could it be that by my actions, I can dismantle, dismantle the evil work in that person's life because I had a, just a little more patience, a little more love, a little more concern, a little forgiveness. If we will make disciples, I leave you with this. Let us be disciples, identified by the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I know that I speak to men who carry much responsibility, women who have given themselves over to your call. And there are times, God, we really do not understand what you are up to. But help us, O oh Lord, to believe that your plan is always the best and always good. And help us, O oh Lord, to identify ourselves by what you say and nothing else. Help us to live out of that. And Lord, help us to be faithful to the mandate of making disciples. I pray this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.